Welcome to Enterprise Radio, the signature show of the Enterprise Podcast Network, featuring some of the most prominent business professionals in the world today. And now your host, Eric Dye. This is Eric Dye, and once again, welcome to Enterprise Radio, a part of EPN, the Enterprise Podcast Network. Today on the program, we're visiting with Mr. Peter Dyson, who has worked in risk and financial modeling for over 15 years and now serves as the head of analytics at Cover, the leading global provider of cyber risk quantification solutions. And Mr. Dyson, thanks for joining us here today on EPN. Thanks for having me. Very good to be here. And we're certainly looking forward to hearing from you in all regards, certainly some information that's uh, needed to be heard here on this program per your cyber risk experience here. So in quarter three, the SEC issued new cybersecurity rules mandating greater transparency and risk communication. And we normally think of cyber incidents as security matters. But could you give us a high level analysis on how this ruling makes cybersecurity a top boardroom and critical business issue? Let's uh, kick things off with that today. Yeah, sure. So um, it all started with a, a statement from the the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission in the US, which um, they they started to do a study where they found that about say 83% of companies suffered from one or more data breaches in the last year, and the average cost of those can can be up to nine and a half million dollars uh, in the US, which is a dramatic increase um, that we've seen over the last 10 years. So that's been a result of the big shift towards the online economy from COVID-19 and the big digitization changes that happened over the last few years. Um, and the legislation is really there to promote um, more robust cybersecurity risk management practices among corporations, but and, and also to increase accountability amongst boards. So uh, the, the rapid growth kind of got to a point where it was starting to affect the economy. So the regulatory bodies have started to step in both in the US and some others have started to, to pick up the pace as well. Um, the, the ruling itself is, um, has got two parts to it. It's, uh, it's about, first of all, being able to um, expect companies to report material cyber events as part of their disclosures, but also requiring them to report their underlying risk frameworks about how they're going to identify material um, cyber events and then how they're going to respond to them. Um, so it's certainly become much more important in terms of senior managements and boards because firstly they're required to do it but also it's an increasing way of establishing good practice and getting the level of transparency up to up to board level about what the level of risk is and uh, how the business is likely to to tackle it. Um, and the, uh, the the big thing is about um, uh, with a lot of security professionals is about um, acknowledging that this is kind of a, a, a big business risk, um, but it's got a very technical hazard. So how can you communicate um, uh, these these risks and these issues to um, to uh, board level executives and in a in a sensible way? Um, and that's really what the, uh, the legislation's about. Really do appreciate that report. That is most helpful. Now, with the new mandate from the SEC, how is cybersecurity and planning for risk now very much a financial impact type of conversation versus being previously siloed in the realm of security? So, again, as mentioned, security is quite a technical field, but it contains quite a significant level of risk compared to some other um, business risks. Um, and there's growing need to communicate to, to management and the board um, and we want to be able to 
first of all, compare how it gets uh, compare how it fares against other risks that the business face faces to know what sort of level of prioritization to give it and what, what funding. Um, how do we set like a cost effective mitigation strategy? Because once you, you can either accept the risk or you can transfer it or mitigate it. So how do you make sure that that's cost effective? So um, it makes more sense to be able to have a conversation with somebody to say, um, rather than it's it's high risk and we should do something about it, you can say that the, the level of risk, for example, um, would cause the company to suffer a, I don't know, $50 million loss with a one in 20 probability. And you can say, if you're going to do these these projects, then that might reduce to, um, I don't know, 30 million with a uh, with the same probability. So you can show the effective um, return um, if you communicate some of these findings in terms of um, a financial impact rather than sort of the traditional highs lows or some sort of proxy proxy factors as well so it helps um helps with the communication and the justification for for sort of security projects um and it helps plan uh, sort of the cfos and uh, the finance team to plan uh, adverse scenarios as well so um set the level of risk capital that might be applicable to uh, a company um, and the financing that it might need um, and the investment you want to put into it really now to even take that further, your team recently published the Fortune 1000 Cyber Risk Report determining SEC materiality with marketplace benchmarks and provides companies with objective benchmarks of incident materiality as well. In more everyday layperson's terms, could you describe what leaders within Fortune 1000 companies and even mid-size enterprises need to know about incident materiality as it affects their business? Yeah, sure. So if you're a in a in a company trying to understand uh, how likely it is for your for your company to experience a cyber incident is can be quite a challenging task so there's a lot of information out there but it's in some cases quite contradictory or incomplete or it's about specific sectors of the market and it's quite difficult to get a rounded perspective for for your particular company and um in particular when you've done a quantification um you need to be able to support your uh, your findings to senior leadership and build confidence but there's a lot of technical detail backing those calculations so it can be a bit not transparent uh, for a non-technical audience so what we've tr what we've done is um, pulled together a, a market benchmark report where we can compare the performance of different industries and and different sizes of, of businesses or focused on the fortune 1000 um on an equal footing if you like so we can identify the main drivers of risk in terms of like the probability of different types of events, including data breach and ransomware, um, and an estimate for the level of cost and compare those between different business sectors as well. So the benchmark's been built up um, using an external view of each of the Fortune 1000s, using a, a simplified version of our quantification model and the latest like intelligence of breach activity across all these sectors. So we've put it all together um and it gives a as i say as a, a, a quite a rounded view on a on a consistent basis of of how these different industries and different um sizes of business compare against each other um in terms of frequency and sort of size of events so it's really useful for firms to validate their own view of risk and how likely it is to, for them to experience these sorts of material events um, which will either cause damage to the business but also would probably be subject to the SEC's materiality reporting as well. 
Certainly some good and educational information here today. We're speaking with Mr. Peter Dyson, who serves as the head of analytics at Cover, the leading global provider of cyber risk quantification solutions here on Enterprise Radio, a part of EPN, the Enterprise Podcast Network. Now, as we continue on here, what were some of the most astounding findings in the report and your experience of working with Fortune 1000 companies? Get into that a little bit, if you would. Um, certainly one of the more interesting findings that we we had from the the report was around working with the different sort of sizes of companies within the Fortune 1000, and that extends beyond um, just this this large enterprise population. And we found quite a dependency on the the size of the organisation. So if you were to plot a chart, for example, of the number of expected breaches in a given year for a, um, uh, for different organisations against the revenue of and the sort of call that the proxy for the, the the size of production if you like then you can see that as a company gets bigger and your environment gets more complex and broader the rate of attacks increases as you might expect but there's a big pronounced effect um, where we see the economies of scale in cyber defense so if you were to on level that to say look at the number of breaches per unit of production or per million of revenue you start to see the opposite um, occur that the number of events happen per unit of revenue decreases as the company gets bigger. So there's this like scale effect. So as the company gets bigger, it gets more optimized as and and better at um, dealing with scale. Um, and obviously, only one of those breaches can cause a significant loss. So there's still some work to do in terms of uh, mitigating the cost to the business. Um, but it is quite a promising sign that actually the the scale of some of these um, uh, teams and uh, having centralized teams seems to have quite a quite a marked effect and that was quite an interesting trend to be able to pick out now here's a question out of curiosity what are some of the top industries affected and how and based on the research here sure so um we've certainly seen um some some different effects for different industries so we've seen the highest cost incidents from things like finance and real estate and insurance um, but with a relatively low frequency. So the high high severity of events is probably due to the levels of regulation and sort of governance and exposure to financial information and PII. Um, but the number of attacks is is relatively low because of, again, the high governance and the, the high disposure to um, um, prove your uh, security at, at those enterprises. Um, but there's a lot to lose when you do get breached. So the reverse of that seems to be um, mining and oil and gas and sort of mineral companies, where we see there's quite a, um, a low severity, relatively speaking, but the frequency is much higher. Um, and it's quite different, interesting to see the balance of events that we see across those different types of sectors as well, where things like retail and finance are very exposed to data breaches because they have more like data assets to lose and more sort of operational technology focused um, enterprises like the mining oil and gas for example it's very interruption driven where there's a lot of machinery involved safety concerns where there's a lower threshold to be able to stop things um, uh, stop stop machines um, for these maybe considered more minor events so there's bigger impact um, and the same sort of effect for the sort of utility companies as well so there's quite a lot of different dynamics that happen within the different sectors. It's not just about counting like the number of breaches, but there's a lot of dynamics that are happening. Um, and the way that companies respond 
across um, these different industries is uh, is quite interesting. Now, Mr. Dyson, if you don't mind, if you could take a moment and describe how companies would use cyber risk quantification known as CRQ, which is a solution your company cover provides as they plan for risk. Yeah, sure. So when it comes to the use of financial risk quantification platform, it's um, usually about driving discussions at the board level um, and in terms of like cyber strategy and interaction with, with funding and what you're going to do to mitigate risk within the business. So there's a lot of discussions around what the level of risk might, might be for cyber um, and how that compares with others, which I've mentioned already. And the CRQ models kind of en enable these um, the sort of cyber leaders and and those discussions with the board to pick out areas where the company's most vulnerable to risk within that is the next level level down. So you can identify whether the risk is most significant um, and presents the biggest potential for loss. Um, you can work out what the mitigation strategy might be to reduce that level of risk to within um, suitable levels, and that might be with security projects. Um, and calculating a again a fun, financially quantified ROI, um, so you can go with tangible information to say things like I'm going to implement these three tools in the company. Uh, this is the cost that it's going to cost, and this is the improvement in risk in terms of maybe the one in ten or the one in a hundred kind of probability of risk. So you can you can show the uh, expected improvement in risk in financial terms and the reduction in maybe risk capital that you'll gain by investing in these projects. And we work quite closely with frameworks like CIS and NIST, which are quite widely used cybersecurity frameworks for managing controls and uh, implementing, uh, assessing maturity of, of control frameworks. And overall, um, the firm has obviously got limited time and resources and manpower. So CRQ allows you to be specific about how you're allocating these resources to uh, implement these projects and um, target the things that are going to cause damage and material loss to the business and keep it up and running, keep it solvent, keep it keep it um, running and um, um, keep the company in existence, basically. So in an environment also where it's uh, increasingly difficult for a lot of firms to get the level of cover of cyber insurance for the risks that they can't mitigate. Um, a lot of companies look to the insurance market to, to transfer that risk to an insurer. Um, that's become quite difficult to get in recent years as, as premiums are going up and there's a capital crunch in insurance companies. So financial quantification helps you understand better the value that you get from insurance and what the alternatives might be in terms of cost and investment to provide an alternative or um, or think about the um, how that might meet other ways and strategies of meeting your risk appetites and capital levels. Excellent feedback there. Much appreciated. And even taking that further, what are the ways in which the findings of a CRQ assessment would be used by specific businesses and security leaders alike within a company? Um, so it's probably similar similar parts to the, the, the ones that I've mentioned before. So, um, but it's it's more about um, uh, making sure that this is, is in place and part of everybody's sort of um, daily review. You can use this as a lot as a sort of um, uh, st strategic and uh, planning um, assessment. So running several assessments to say like what if scenarios to say, am I going to try this strategy? What would happen? You, what, you can 
and consider the opportunity cost of different investment strategies and different mitigation strategies. What's the best combination for my my business? And what happens if we in, encounter different scenarios and different um, alternative strategies, that sort of thing. Mr. Dyson, just a couple more questions as we conclude. Really do appreciate all the insight and information shared per your expertise and for what you do at Cover. Now, also in your view, does the recent SEC findings escalate cybersecurity risk to a new level as one where now the CFO and CEO are involved or at least more aware on the financial impact of an incident? And why is this better for businesses navigating in an increasingly dangerous world for cybersecurity crime? So the SEC filings have come at a time when cybersecurity risk is already on a lot of minds, certainly with the recent digitization of, of most things. And it's a timely addition to help um, leaders formalize their thinking around cybersecurity risk. So it's providing a good structure to help um, uh, provide some direction and um, help those discussions happen at an appropriate level of seniority within the business. And where previously cyber may have been wrapped up in as a sort of operational risk, um, we see a lot of cases where obviously cyber is now a standalone risk category in a risk management framework and being probably one of the top ones considered in, in many businesses now. So if you're not having those discussions at the moment, I think it might be time to start having them. Um, there's a lot you can do to protect yourself. And I think with tools like um, risk quantification, it's there's there's ways of engaging um, boards and um, engaging with the risk that cyber presents without having to dive into increasingly technical uh, language and technical speak. So we can treat it as another business risk and um, uh, continue to um, make sure that we uh, continue business operations at the company, like reduce liability and protect all the uh, data and assets within the company. I got to tell you some really interesting information shared here today, and we need to always be ready. So we thank you again for bringing these matters to our attention. As we conclude, what is one tip you have for businesses planning for 2024 based on your work and recent research? Um, I think Hopefully the uh, the benchmarking is useful to help understand and validate your view of cyber risk. Um, but I think taking it forwards, the, the best thing you can do is to, as part of your business planning tip, make sure you understand the risk, um, make sure you understand the risk capital and the implications of what your business plan means and um, the cost of capital and how to reduce it in a targeted way, certainly in terms of cybersecurity. And of course, the big question is where can listeners get more information on cover and how can they best be in contact as well? Um, cover.com, K-O-V-R-R.com um, or connect with me on LinkedIn. And of course, listeners, you can find this link within the show notes of this broadcast as well. Mr. Dyson, all the best. And I thank you so much for joining us here today on EPN. Thank you very much. Again, we have been speaking with Mr. Peter Dyson, who serves as the head of analytics at Cover, the leading global provider of cyber risk quantification solutions. And again, for all the details, visit cover.com. And this is Eric Dye, and you've been listening to Enterprise Radio, a part of EPN, the Enterprise Podcast Network. Tune into our live location as we are streaming live 24-7 around the world at epodcastnetwork.com forward slash live you can also find our live stream on itunes radio and tune in radio as well as the tune in radio app for your listening convenience and as always we thank you for your support and for tuning in 
Thanks for listening to Enterprise Radio. To subscribe to more of our programming, visit epodcastnetwork.com. This is the ePodcast Network.